I want to welcome you into the Sunday Preaching Podcast of the Point Church, located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. There was a man for over 50 years, you'd turn your TV on, your channel flipping, or maybe you even recorded his program. He would walk up to the pulpit and he would hold his Bible like this and he would begin his sermon. Dr. Charles Stanley, In Touch Ministries. Uh, how many of you have listened to him before on TV? Last Sunday night was his memorial service uh, there in Atlanta at First Baptist Church and I sat down uh, and uh, on my phone watched that uh, service, and it was really an encouraging uh, blessing to listen to. I learned a lot of things about him that I didn't know uh, as a part of his memorial service. Uh, how many of you know the name Dr. David Jeremiah out in California? You've seen him on TV. Uh, Dr. Jeremiah was one of the preachers uh, for that service, and he talked about uh, Charles Stanley, how he would walk up to the pulpit, and he would have his Bible sideways. I still haven't figured that out because he certainly didn't read it like that, but uh, probably had some notes or something there as he would preach his sermon. Uh, Dr. Jeremiah said, how many times did Dr. Charles Stanley uh, walk up to the pulpit and he would always ask a question? He would ask a question. And then for the next 45 or 50 minutes, he would answer that question. Uh, he talked about how that if you're in the broadcast industry, that you know the best length of time for a broadcast is about 28 minutes and 30 seconds, give you a little time for some commercials. Uh, but J Dr. Jeremiah said, not Charles Stanley. He wanted 58 minutes and 30 seconds because he would always preach 45 or 50 minutes, and he said he's the only man I've ever known that could do that and keep our attention. I want you to know that Dr. Stanley is not the first person to ask the church a question, a penetrating question that needs to be answered. We find that in our text today in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you'll grab your Bible, I'm going to read for you in just a moment, verses 16 through 23, as the Apostle Paul, the great church planner and missionary, asked the Christians at Corinth a very direct and penetrating question. He says to them, do you not know? Do you not already know? Now, when you read that, you immediately think, man, he's a little bit in a scolding uh, tone there. But I promise you, as we read on into 1 Corinthians, you're going to find that he gets much more blunt and much more direct. The word know there in verse number 16 is not the word for gnosis or knowledge, but rather it's a word that means discernment or understanding. Do you not discern the moment? Do you not understand who you are and who God is? So today, I'm going to preach to you a message in this theme of Christianity and culture. The first five chapters, we're focusing in on unity in the church. And so today, in honor of Dr. Charles Stanley and the Apostle Paul, I've got three questions I want to present to you today. The questions are answered in this text. Number one, who am I? Who am I? Number two, what do I believe? What do I believe? And then thirdly, 
who do I belong to? Let me read those verses and let Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, help us answer them. Look at verse number 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, Job chapter 5 and verse number 13, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, this is Psalm 94 and verse 11. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you bow your head with me? As I often say, would you take a deep breath physically, a deep breath spiritually now as we approach this text to hear and to see what the Lord is saying to his church. God, we are grateful for the word. And we give the word honor and authority. We have such a high view of Scripture. And we know that right now in this moment, these verses are so fresh, relevant, and applicable to your church. God, I pray in this moment that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the word of God would come alive that eternal fruit would be born to the person that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior who can't answer the question, who am I? I pray they'll be able to answer that today. For us as Christians, as we battle our flesh and we think about who we are and who Christ is and and what we belong to, remind us today of our part in the unity of the church. And so we pray that you'll do the work that only you can do. And when we walk out of here in just a little bit, I pray that we will be refreshed and renewed and we will recommit ourselves to the mission we have been called to. And all God's people said, amen. Who am I? Who am I? What do I believe? Who do I belong to? I really believe with all my heart in the context of unity and the context of the mission of the church, that if every Christian, every person that is a part of a church could biblically, theologically, practically answer these three questions, I believe the church can have a revival. I believe the church can be turned upside down 
for the glory of God. There was a group of fishermen. Your Bible says they weren't very educated. And God called them out of their industry and into the work of the ministry, into the mission, the kingdom mission that he had. And the scripture says that they were able to literally turn the world upside down. They had unity of purpose. They had unity of mission. And most importantly, they had a unity that centers around the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this letter that Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, as I mentioned to you last Sunday, it's in the context of disunity. There's disagreement. There is infighting. There is arguing. There is a somewhat of a Uh, a Christian popularity culture going on as eyes are on men and not on the gospel. How many of you know that the enemy loves to divide? The enemy loves to bring confusion, loves to bring division. And what was true in the city of Corinth is true today in the community of Perdido Key, that the enemy wants to keep the church disunified. The enemy wants the church to forget who we are, and to forget what our mission is in these perilous yet important times. I believe very clearly Paul answers these three questions for us. If we'll walk out of here in just a few minutes with them clearly answered and settled in our hearts, this church will be stronger in its mission, stronger in its purpose, and in our love for one another. Let's begin with the first question, who am I? Do you know who you are today? Are you settled in who you are? If you're a Christian, your identity is in Christ. How did that happen? There has to be a moment in every person's life where we understand what the cross is all about, that Jesus went to the cross, he hung there, he bled, and he died, and in that moment, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, he took our sin in his body on the tree, not his sin but our sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He bore our sin in his body on the tree. So now, in 2023, 2,000 years later, as we preach the gospel and we talk about what a Christian really is, from the Bible we extract that every person needs to have a head-on collision with the Holy Ghost. We need to have a head-on collision with conviction. It's the Holy Spirit that brings illumination and shows you that Jesus is the answer. It's the Holy Spirit who reveals to you, shows you, and confirms to you that you're not a good person. You don't have a good heart. You have a sinful heart and a cruddy heart. You're a sinner. And it's through what Jesus did for us on the cross and through his shed blood that we are cleansed, we are washed of our sins when we acknowledge our sin and we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, not as a way, not as a good way, or the best way. How many of you heard me say that about a thousand times around here? You got a thousand more coming. He's not a good way. He's not the best way. He's the only way. You believe on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You confess your sin. You confess him as Lord. It's at that moment that you become a Christian. So who am I? There is an individual aspect of our faith. I am a Christian. I'm not a Christian because I had a family that have pastored. I'm not Christian because my dad and mom are Christians. Matter of fact, Blake and I, Blake's here today, our son. He's the tallest one in the room. You'll notice that in a minute when we stand up. 
Uh, we were talking about this last night. We are Christians. We're Christians. Christ lives in us. And so my identity today is, is not pastor. It's not husband, father. My identity today is I'm in Christ. I'm a Christian. But when you become a Christian, you become a part of the body of Christ. Notice what Paul says about that in verse number 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? Now, I want you to notice this word you right here. That word is in the plural. So in southern vernacular, we say y'all, okay? I remember my English teachers growing up would get on me about saying that too much. Do you not know that y'all are God's temple? It's very important because in context, we're going to get over to chapter 6, and it's that passage where he talks about the individual and about our body is the temple and, and how we take care of ourselves. That's in chapter 6. Let's slow down for just a minute. In context, he's talking here about the church. Now, it's interesting that he uses the word temple. If you go back through the Old Testament, you know that at first there was a tent. Moses went out to the tent, and he would go outside the camp of the people of God, and the glory of God would come down over the tent. And then they moved from a tent to a tabernacle. It was portable. They could set it up. Uh, they would uh, put it into certain spots, and there was a holy of holies. There was a, a place that the priests went into, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, they uh, had the tabernacle, and then eventually there was a temple. In the 700s, uh, uh, Solomon built the temple there in Jerusalem, and it was an unbelievable structure. As a matter of fact, I was reading this week, in modern-day uh, financial value, it's estimated that back then it would have been about $13 million for the temple. The temple had a place that was guarded. It was a place that all of God's people knew represented the presence of God. The tent, the tabernacle, and the temple all represented the presence of God. Hear me. God's people always have wanted to be in the presence of God, to be near God, to experience His manifest presence. God has always been omnipresent. He has always been everywhere at all times. But there was something special about the temple and the presence of God. That place was so holy that only the high priest could go in and be with God. Now, I want you to let that settle for just a minute because this is such a powerful thing that we're reading here in this text. Paul is saying to them, it's no longer about a building. It's no longer about bricks and mortar and sheetrock and gold and gems. Y'all are the temple of God. Now, now, let's get this last line. And that God's Spirit dwells in you. Gang, I don't know that we fully understand and we fully live in real time, day by day, understanding that God's Spirit dwells with us. We believe theologically, the Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, that if any man or woman does not have 
the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Here's what that tells me, that if you're a child of God today, there's no such thing as you being a Christian and not having the Holy Spirit inside of you. It's interesting here too, I want you to get this, God's Spirit dwells in y'all, okay? So there's not this, there's not this second work of grace coming. I mean, we, we, we know the filling of the Holy Spirit. We read about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like I said just a minute ago, God has always been omnipresent. He's always been everywhere. But there's something different about him manifesting himself. Now, if I could be frank for just a moment, there's stuff that comes across my desk, and I, I read things online. And to be honest with you, as I read about the direction and the condition of the church, particularly in, in, uh, in Western America, the United States, there's not a whole lot of good information. There's not a lot of good things to read about that say, oh, everything's going great. Most churches today are in decline. Most churches today are going backwards, not forwards. Most churches are not growing. They're in heavy decline. I think I said this a couple of Sundays ago, that in our convention of churches, Southern Baptist churches, 50,000 churches, 25,000 of them have 67 or less today. Many churches are in decline. We're not seeing a, a great harvest. And what does that cause us to do? Please hear me. Give me your best ears for just a minute. It certainly causes us to be concerned. So what do we have a tendency to do? We have a tendency to become very pragmatic. And we think that God needs us to come up with a plan or a scheme to make things happen. And that's why I often say to our staff, and as we're just talking about the church scene today, I don't mean, as I said last Sunday, I thank God for all Bible-preaching churches, but I just see with my own eyes that we really, some are really clowning it up. I know that's very bold, but you need to hear me say that. What do we need to do? Let's just get back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 16. Hear me today, church. We have all of the Holy Spirit that we need. We do not need more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs more of us. I mentioned a minute ago these fishermen. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus calls Peter and the gang off of the water, and your Bible says they were uneducated men. They were not revered men. They were not scholars in a seminary. They were not uh, people that were affluent in their community. They were uneducated. They were very simple men. But something happened. I was talking to my brother this morning in South Carolina, and he's preaching through the book of Acts. Today he's in Acts chapter 15. Read your Bible. It says that these uneducated men, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came upon them. We believe the indwelling of the Holy Spirit came upon the church and upon every believer. And through that, these uneducated, simple servants, disciples of the Lord, your Bible says that they turned the world upside down. And they didn't have the newest curriculum from Lifeway. They didn't have seminary doctoral degrees. 
tell you what they had. They had the pneuma, the breath of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now hear me today. Some of us are sitting here and you're digesting this in your mind and God sent me here today to remind you who you are. You're no different than the disciples. Let me say, Pastor, I've never been to Bible college. I've never taught Sunday school. I've certainly never preached a sermon. I'm just a simple person. Congratulations. That's exactly who I read God uses in his word. He fills them with Jesus. He fills them with the Holy Spirit, and then he sends them out to do the work of the kingdom. Who am I? I'll tell you who I am. I'm a child of God. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and I have been filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the New Testament church. So you tell me, why have we become so pragmatic and gotten so far off course? Because the end does not justify the means. Anybody in the room believe we ought to do things God's way? God's way? Now notice verse number 17. I've got to give you this in context. You belong to Christ. I said last Sunday the church belongs to Christ. And Jesus loves his church. It's his church. It's not my church. It's his church. Paul reminds them here in the spirit and the context of disunity in the church, trying to bring them to a place of unity, he reminds them what a serious matter this is. And he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, that's God's church, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you and y'all are that temple. I want you to look at this verse and ponder it for just a minute. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, if you take part in dividing and bringing disunity in the church, God is going to deal with you. That's what he's saying. That's the context of this verse. Do you know how many churches today have gone through splits and division and disunity over the dumbest stuff? You either say amen or owe me right there. And churches get divided. You know why? Self gets in the way. We forget who we are. We forget what we've been called to do. And Paul says, look, if, if anyone comes into the church and causes a mess or division, that could be a pastor, that could be a member, that could be anyone in the church. If anyone does that, Paul said, God is going to kill you. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? With fear and trepidation, I'm going to share you this story. A friend of mine I went to college with is a pastor. And I want to share this story in the context of grace and mercy, and I don't want to, this is not a fear-mongering story at all. It's a factual story. So my friend's a pastor of this church. He has a deacon in the church that comes to him one Sunday morning who's giving him problems and disagreeing with him about everything, and he comes up to him after the Sunday morning service, 
And because the pastor had moved the offering in between two hymns instead of doing two two hymns in the offering, the deacon came up to him and railed him out right there in the church. People watched it. People experienced it. It was a bad scene. My my friend, he had preached his heart out that day, thought it was a good day at church, you know, made a little change. He went to his office. He was just flustered, flabbergasted. And I'm just telling you, I'm not God, and I don't have all the details, but I'm going to tell you within two hours, that deacon was dead. Anybody tracking with me? God doesn't play when it comes to his church. And I'm going to point at myself and I'm going to point at you and say, God's church is holy. Chapter 1, verse number 2 says that the church, the true church, is not a social club, but rather it is made up of those who have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. What does the word sanctified mean? It means you have been made holy. Made holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. Christian, hear me today. Hear me. As Christians, we are called to live holy lives. Holy, holy holy before God. God wants his church to be holy. Do you believe that? So so hold on now. Hold on now. We okay. Amen. So let me ask you something. Who is what is the church? Who is the church? I am. You are. I, I was talking uh, there was a pastor here last Sunday uh, in our town. Uh, I'm not going to call his name, but we went to lunch this week or coffee this week. And uh, we were talking about this. We were talking about a particular church that has just totally fallen apart. It's a mess. You know, there's lawsuits and between elders and pastors and who spent the money and where's this going, that going. I mean, a colossal mess. Brother Joe and I was sitting in that church one Sunday morning several years ago, and they did a couple of songs, and the pastor walked out on the stage, and he said, good morning, everybody. We're so glad you're here. He said, I want you to know God doesn't care one bit what you were doing last night. He's glad you're here today. And I looked over, Joe will verify this. I looked over at Joe and kind of out loud said, what did he just say? God doesn't care? Listen to me. Hear me, Christian. God cares what you were doing last night and this week. Because he saved you, he's redeemed you, you're a child of God, you're set apart. There's boundaries that are put on your life because you're a child of God. And those boundaries include that you desire to live a holy life before the Lord. We are God's temple, you are that temple. Who are you? So I just got to move on, we won't get out of here today. Can you answer that question right now in your life? Who am I? I'm a child of God. I belong to the body of Christ. And it's my responsibility to promote unity in the body toward the mission of the church. 
Number two, second question, what do I believe? What do I believe? Yesterday morning, I, I looked down at my phone. I had a text message from one of the pastors in town, and the text I was reading, and I started laughing because it was, uh, it was in quotations, and uh, he said, uh, leave your doctrine at the door. Y'all remember when I said that last week? Uh, he had listened to that, and it was, a, listen, guys, that was a true story, a real story in real time right here in our community. A free-for-all breaks out in the church because we don't have a good doctrinal system of what we believe, and this is where we stand. And before you know it, we've got a free-for-all, and somebody who thought the best solution for the moment was just to tell everybody, leave your doctrine at the door. You don't have a church if you don't have doctrine. Come on now, let's get some common sense here. you got to know what you believe. But here's what's happening today. Look at verse number 18. He says, let no one deceive himself. Now, the great deceiver today is Satan himself. He's all about deceiving you and deceiving me. There are false prophets, false teachers out there today that are, that are teaching and preaching things that do not line up with the Scripture, and they are deceiving people. I'm concerned today in this age of information, there are too many people in the church that are being discipled and taught through podcast and YouTube and TikTok. I said to the staff this week, I really believe in this world today that the number one discipleship tool is TikTok. I'm not even on it. Some of you are laughing and you don't really know all about that. You hear about it, but you don't really know about it. Listen to me. Young people are being discipled on TikTok. And I'm not talking about being discipled in the ways of the Lord. I'm talking about being discipled by the enemy. A new study came out this week. One in four high school students today say they identify as LGBTQ. One in four. Many of them are getting online, getting on social media, and they are being fed a line of deception, and they are believing it. That's why the church needs to be very clear, very clear. There are males and there are females. We need to be very clear with our young people. Parents, hear me. You need to know what your kids are watching and listening to online because many are being deceived. Deception is not something new. It's, it's not just for kids and young people today. It happens in the church. I'm so burdened. We talk about this as a staff, pastors all the time, about people that are out here during the week gobbling up podcasts and videos and this person and that person that are actually apostates or heretics and somehow bringing their ideologies and their teachings into a gospel New Testament church. I want you to know with every ounce of energy we have, we're going to drive that out of this church. Because we have a book. We have a book right here that we're going to stand on. And we have a responsibility to help people not fall into deception. The same is true 
When Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, he, he brings another one of these really strong words, and he says, gang, listen up. What's wrong with you? You're acting like children. You're being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, and you're over here one minute and over there one minute. Now, when you live that kind of life, you are not settled and anchored in what you believe. That's why we have today so much pluralism. And we have some that are falling into universalism. And I could make a list a mile long. People are being deceived. Have you all read your Bible? What does it say about the last days? What does it say about the last days? It says that many will fall into deception. Many will heap to themselves teachers, preachers, having itching ears. So in other words, people are going to flock. They're going to flock to places under the banner of church and Christianity where somebody will get up and tell them something really good that they want to hear, make them feel good about their sexual immorality, make them feel good about their rebellion against God, make them feel good about living a worldly consumeristic life and then telling them, you're going to go to heaven. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Look at the next phrase there in verse number 18. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Now listen to me. In our public education system, in our universities, again, the world is screaming today, humanism. Humanism. The answer for your life is within you. You've got to find yourself. You've got to discover yourself. We're living today in the age of self-expression, individual self-expression. Our young people are being told, be true to yourself. Be who you are. We're living in an age of feelings that we're driven today by how we feel about things. When we come together in a setting like this on Sundays, whether it's me or somebody else who we're preaching, we have to constantly be reminded that we are not called to live by our feelings. We are called to live by faith. That we are called to live by the Holy Scriptures. But we have humanism and Marxism and neo-Marxism and all of these, all of these ideologies that we're out here and and we're reading this and studying, listen to this pod, listen to this author, and then we're trying to bring that stuff and mix it in with the gospel. And friends, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. What do we believe? We believe that the small g, the God of this age, is a God, the God of this world is working against the wisdom and the knowledge of God. I mean, we were here a few weeks ago when I talked about the word foolishness back in chapter 1. Look in your Bible there. You see that word fool? You see it? What is that word? 
In the original language, it's the same word for which we get moron. Y'all remember that? You remember that? Become a moron that you may become wise. God scoffs at Harvard and Yale and Princeton and Columbia and Stanford and all the higher institutions of this world. God scoffs at them because that's not knowledge and wisdom. The only true knowledge and wisdom comes from God. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? The wisdom of this world is moronic with God. Job 5.13, he, he seizes the wise, the sophists. Remember in the context of Corinth, sophists, the, the, the wisdom orators would come and speak. And, and Paul says, look, he catches the sophists in their craftiness. Wordsmiths. Are you listening to me? Do you not know that word no, remember in the first verse, is discernment and understanding. When you're listening to a really crafty wordsmith, you better pray that the Holy Spirit gives you illumination and discernment in that moment. Or we can easily be deceived. The sophists, the wise, God catches them in their craftiness. The Lord knows the thoughts of the sophists. The really smart people in Corinth in this day Paul is saying, look, guys, read Psalm 9411. God says, I know what's going through their minds, and it's all empty and vain and futile. That's the word. So why would we fill our minds and our hearts with that kind of stuff? We need to fill our minds with the gospel. Let me finish with the last question. Who am I? What do I believe? And then who do I belong to? Look at verse 21. Let no, no one boast in men. Now, let me, let me pause there again. We're going to get past this Apollos and Paul and Cephas. But we have to be careful in, in elevating men. I mentioned Dr. Charles Stanley just a minute ago, a wonderful expositor of God's Word. But one of the things his pastor talked about at his funeral very clearly and openly was Dr. Stanley went through a terrible divorce Years ago, it was all over national news and the front page of papers, and, and he went through some dark days in his life, and, and uh, you know, with him and his wife and, and their divorce, and then he had some issues that happened with his family, and, and it was all over, I mean, front page of papers and stuff, and it was, a, it was a really hard time, and go listen to his funeral. The pastor talks about what Dr. Stanley said about how the Lord helped him through that season. I'm just reminded that Dr. Stanley was a man. He put his britches on one leg at a time just like I do. Man, I think about Dr. Adrian Rogers. I still love to hear his voice as he preaches the Word of God. David Jeremiah, so many more. You know what? They're men. I'm flesh. I'm a man. And sometimes we get our eyes on men. Oh, this is my hero. Oh, I followed this guy. Oh, hold on a minute. The problem with that is, is when that person dies, Many people feel lost, like, what are we going to do now? We don't have him. Hello? You always have Jesus? How many times has a pastor fallen morally in a church, pulled out of his position, and the church, people just start scurrying like cockroaches and going every which way because 
the hero, the cult personality, or whoever is not there anymore. When I read my Bible, gang, I, I, I think I've read that Jesus is the hero and the head of the church. That we keep our eyes on Christ. We keep it on Jesus. We don't boast in men. We boast in the Lord. He says, for all things are yours. All things are yours. He's speaking here of the blessings of life. Watch. He's really saying to them, why can't you knuckleheads see that Apollos and Paul and Peter are gifts to you? They're all three godly men who know the gospel. They all teach and preach. Be thankful for them instead of having a pep rally for your hero. They're all yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. You know what he's saying there? He's reminding them of their liberty in Christ and of the blessings that they have. But he turns right around after he reminds them of their liberty and he finishes up by saying, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Now watch, the text kind of ends up kind of in reverse. He starts with our Creator, our Father, God Almighty, who sent us His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, He came and He said, hey, I'm in charge. I've got all authority in heaven and in earth. How many of you know that even though the prince of the power of the air is warring and and waging war against us today, Jesus is in control. He has all authority. He has all authority in the world. He has all authority in our lives. He says, you've been given your life. How many of you today can just pause for a minute and be grateful that you have the health and the life to just be here right now? Be here right now. I guarantee Cindy Lester sitting up there or in the ICU up at West Florida Hospital right now, had brain surgery on Friday, was sitting right over here last week. She knows the blessing of her help and just being here today. But sometimes we take it for granted. Jesus is in control of our death. He knows when we're going to leave this world. And one day he's coming back. Jesus is going to come back. The trumpet's going to sound. He's coming back, gang. He's in control. We belong to him. We are Christ. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We'll see that later on in Corinthians. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which are God's. So let me close. Can you clearly answer the question today? Who am I? Do you know what you believe, or at least are you in hot pursuit <laughs> of the Scriptures to know what you believe? And Do you know who you belong to? A university professor was very revered. Everybody knew he was a man of faith, and so he got the opportunity to speak at graduation. As he was addressing the graduates, he said this, it isn't a matter of knowing that you've got it all together because you haven't. It's a matter of knowing that somewhere it is all together and that you're blessed to be a part of it. He was telling those students that God has it all together, that Jesus has it all together. And as a child of God, 
We are blessed to be a part of it. There have been four categorized, if you will, revivals or great awakenings that have taken place in the history of our country. There are, there are many things that have been tagged as a revival or a, a move of God, but there are really four big ones. We go back to the Great Awakening in the 1700s. We fast forward to the Second Great Awakening, and then we come all the way to the late 1960s and the early 1970s. There's a movie that just came out recently, I think. I haven't seen it. Some of you have and told me about it, about the Jesus Revolution and the move of God where a lot of people were saved, and, and, I, and I thank God for every person that was saved through that. But, you know, as I, as I look at that historically, I go back and I go, you know, man, things are happening, things are happening, things are happening, things are happening. Th- what happened? Y'all tracking with me? So here we are today. I don't think any of you would want to, like, come up here afterwards and debate with me. Not that I'm smarter than you, but I just know your heart. You're not going to want to debate with me that we need an outpouring of the Spirit of God today, that we need God to move in a supernatural way. So what do we do, Pastor? I'm going to tell you the best thing we can do is to know who we are in Jesus to know that we have the Holy Spirit in us and through us, to know what we believe, and to know we belong to Christ. Our loyalties are not to a church or a denomination or to a man. Our loyalties are to Christ and Christ alone because we belong to him. And all God's people said,